We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Those words are from the ancient creed of the church, the Nicene Creed. And I wanted to pay a special attention, attention to those uh, things it says about the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. It says, very God of very God. The Lord Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, God. He is God of God, very God of very God. There's nothing about being God that he does not possess. But it's often the case in our discussions in the world that we uh, forget the second thing about the Lord Jesus. We're so concerned to prove that fact of his divinity. That is this, who for us men for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. The thing to notice about Jesus is very important. It's actually critical to the Christian understanding of everything is that Jesus was fully man. He was as much a human being as I am or you. In fact, I think we might want to say he was more of a human being than you or I because he was perfect in his humanity. Now, what do we mean by that? What does it mean to be a perfect human? And I think to answer that question, we need to go to the very beginning when humanity was created and God announced his purpose in creating human beings. It's in Genesis chapter 1, the very first page of your Bible, where God said in verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, humanity is created to be the link, the link between the creator and the creation. Man is the one creation that lives in fellowship with God and in fellowship with the rest of creation. At least that was God's purpose. When God speaks of likeness, according to our likeness, he's talking about our life in relation to God himself as children of God, as sons of God. And when he speaks of uh, us being made in his image, he's speaking about how we represent God in relation to everything else in the created order. So we are made in God's image according to his likeness, and we are to rule over the rest of creation, to be God's representative in the world. And so what we mean when we say perfect humanity is we mean a human being who lives in real, active fellowship with God and real, active fellowship with other human beings and with the created order. And that was God's intention when he made human beings. And Jesus is in all these respects perfectly human. Or another way we could say it is he is the perfect human being. No one is as human as he is because he lives in perfect fellowship with God and in perfect relationship to everyone and everything else. We can read about this as we often have, as we've studied in the book of John. <clears throat> and so I wanted to read just one example of this from the book of John in chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. But for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whomever he wishes. And so we see Jesus at all times, in every way, he lives from his fellowship with God. He acts in creation according to the, according to the perfect desire of God. And so <clears throat> the Father shows the Son, and the Son does as the Father does. And he does this all the time. He never acts independently. He always acts in faith. He trusts in the Father, and he acts from the direction of the Father. 
And so he acts in creation as the perfect agent of the Father. He always does only what he sees the Father doing. And this is likeness and image. He lives in the likeness of God. He walks as the Son of God in relation to God. And so he bears God's image into the world. He shows who God is in the world. And this is humanity. This is the perfect design of humanity by God. So the first thing we want to notice about Jesus is he is completely human. He's perfect human. He's perfectly human. The second thing we want to notice is that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That is quite an expression. It comes from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where we read this. He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So he has first place in all created things. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, that is the beginning of the church, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So we read here that Jesus reconciles all things by the blood of his cross, he made peace. That's another way of saying reconciled. He restored a relationship that had been alienated or separated. The, God, the good news, the gospel, is that God is, in fact, in Christ, reconciling all things to himself. That means he's restoring everything to right relationship. That's a very important concept, the concept of relationship. Or we could say he's restoring things to good fellowship with himself. And when everything exists in right relationship to the Creator, then everything also exists in right relationship to everything. In other words, in right relationship to God, right relationship, other right relationship is also restored. Why is that necessary? How did these relationships 
get broken. Well, when Adam broke fellowship with God in his own disobedience, all fellowship in creation broke down. Not just the fellowship between Adam and God, but all the relationships were broken. You can see this right away in Adam's relationship to Eve. Suddenly they don't trust each other. Suddenly he's blaming her and she's blaming the serpent. And there's uh, suddenly they notice they're naked and they're ashamed of their nakedness. They're, they're afraid of each other, of intimacy. They don't trust each other and they don't trust God. And of course, when we separated ourselves from the Creator, uh, that was that was a brokenness uh, that broke our likeness to God, that that alienated us from God. We we are the prodigal son. We leave God, and in consequence, we we marred and obscured our image-bearing, so we don't bear the image of God as we once did in the world. And our fellowship with each other is broken, and our management of creation is a mess. In Genesis chapter 3, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when uh, these relationships broke, our relationship with God was broken, our relationship with each other was broken, and our relationship with creation was broken. And even now we see that all over the place. We're generally making a mess of the creation. No matter how hard we try, it's a uh, seemingly impossible job to scratch out our living from the earth, so to speak. And uh, so the earth itself is not functioning in relation to us as it, as it should. And so, these relationships, which are fundamental to our humanity, uh, are all disrupted, and we are what the Bible calls alienated. We're alienated from God, we're alienated from each other, and we're alienated from the creation around us. But God, Scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we talk about alienation, we talk about alienation from God, well, there's another word for that. It's death. So when Adam and Eve sinned and broke from God, they died. Now, their bodies took a while to realize that, and we, of course, we continue to reproduce, and we live and we die. We all die. Everyone dies. Death 
has dominion over us. And death's dominion comes from sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As we read in Colossians, Christ, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things, not just me, not just you, not just people, everything, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the work of Jesus, in giving himself a sacrifice for our sin, brings healing in all of these relationships. And so we are reconciled. It says here, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. So those who trust in Christ are restored to right relationship to God, are standing before God is what's called here holy, blameless, and above reproach. So we've been restored to fellowship with God by the work of the cross. So Jesus has made peace between us and God. Well, and as we've already seen in, in uh, the book of Ephesians, that peace, he, he made peace between us as well as peace between us and God. So Jesus is creating a new humanity that is in restored fellowship and restored likeness to God. And because of that, restored image bearing. Jesus lived in perfect righteousness, in perfect fellowship with the Father, and in perfect love toward his, human, toward his fellow human beings. So he was in right relationship to God, and consequently in right relationship to everything and everyone else. And so Jesus entered then into the territory of alienation from God. Jesus died. There's nothing in the humanity of Jesus that would be subject to death. Uh, he did not sin, so he should not die, but he did die, and in the work of his cross, he leads us back to life. So Jesus, the human being, Jesus, was raised from the dead, and it's so absolutely critical to notice that Jesus, the human being, the physical man Jesus, body and soul, what came back to life. The body that was died, that died, is the body that came out of the tomb. And so Jesus was raised from the dead, and so he becomes the pioneer of resurrection, or as Colossians put it, the firstborn from the dead. He's, he's not the only born from the dead. He's the first, and Romans says he's the firstborn among many brothers. So he's 
the firstborn from the dead, and if we trust him, we follow him in resurrection. In fact, the scripture says we're united with him, and we're united with him in his death, and so we're united with him in his resurrection. Ephesians Paul goes so far as to say, we have been raised with him, and we are seated with him, in him, at the right hand of God. So if we trust him, we follow him in resurrection to, to walk in newness of life. So someone who has trusted Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a newness of life. Now, this newness of life doesn't always feel like anything, but you possess newness of life. And of course, that is delivered in the very person of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes to indwell each and every believer and who comes to indwell the fellowship of believers in the church, the body of Christ. And so we are alive in a way we were not alive before we trusted in Christ. And so we walk, should walk, in newness of life. So our fellowship with God is restored. We have a restored likeness to God. And so we should have an experience of restored imaging of God as we relate to each other and to the world around us. We are reconciled to God, to good fellowship with God, and so also to each other and to the creation around us. So, our full humanity is realized by resurrection, by our participation in the resurrection of Christ. Now that is to be fully realized when Christ returns, but even now we have possession of resurrection life. And so we know that the gain of death is not the end of the story. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He looks, he can't decide whether he'd rather live or die because if he dies, he'll be with the Lord. He'll be in a more immediate presence. He says that's better by far. But that's not the end of the story. Following that is the resurrection from the dead. We read about this last Sunday in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where the dead in Christ will rise first and go to meet Christ. We will experience resurrection uh, even if we are still alive. When Christ comes, we will be resurrected in that this body which is subject to death will be resurrected and not subject to death. In 1 Corinthians 15 we read this expression, this mortal must put on immortality. And that is in the days to come when Jesus comes and that resurrection takes place. In Romans chapter 8, we read that the whole creation is looking forward to that day. That the, the creation itself is, in, in Romans 8, groaning for that day 
Uh, let me just read some of that. Romans uh, 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That is, people in the likeness of God, in right relation and good fellowship with God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So in the time of our full experience of resurrection, there's a resurrection of everything. There's a restoration in our right fellowship with God, in our right bearing of God's image in the creation. The creation itself is restored and will no longer be the frustrating experience that it is now. We certainly enjoy the creation, and yet we also can't help destroying it. And we also have a hard time dealing with it. In those days, creation itself will rejoice in the glory of the children of God. So, I guess I would like to close by noticing that the Scripture anticipates that because of this promise that we have of resurrection and this present experience of resurrection in part, that we are expected to live out of our restored fellowship with God, to live from the resurrection. We, it's very interesting because we live from the resurrection to the resurrection. We live in view of the resurrection of Christ and in view of the promise of our own resurrection in Christ. So as a person who knows Christ, who's trusted in Christ and been restored to fellowship with God by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in me, I have a new sort of life in me. And I can live from the promise of the resurrection, from the fact of the resurrection of Christ, and from the promise of the resurrection for myself. There's a sense in which I would say, call this, uh, you can pay forward the resurrection. So in chapter 6 of Romans, when Paul asks the question, well, should we just sin so that grace may increase? He says, no, don't be silly. Don't be silly. You are united with Christ in his death. You're united with Christ in his resurrection. So you have the opportunity to walk in newness of life, to be obedient in a way that you weren't able to be before. So you can pay forward the resurrection life you have in Christ. Uh, one of the ways, places we see this most clearly is in that verse I often refer to in 1 John chapter 3. I'd just like to read it to you. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us 
that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Look, look, look at the love of God that you can be called his child, his son, made again in restored likeness to God himself, in right relation to God, his child, so that you can refer to God Almighty as Abba, Father. What an amazing thing, accomplished by the work of the cross of Christ. He says, for this reason, the world does not know us it didn't, because it didn't know him. He goes, beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be as a resurrection coming. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And then he says this, very interesting. He says, everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. So this hope of resurrection, this hope of fully realized likeness to Christ, this hope has a purifying effect on me now. Now, you see, I don't have to wait. This says, when I see him, I'll be like him. Well, I can see him now to some degree. And so I will be like him now to some degree. And so we can pay forward the resurrection life that is promised to us in Christ. We see him, we see him crucified, raised, ascended, king of kings, coming again to finish our salvation. We see him. So we live with great assurance and promise. I, I, don't, I don't have to live doubtfully or fearfully. I can live courageously because I know Christ who carries with him the resolution of my life, the reconciliation of my life to God and to everyone and to everything else. So I trust him. I trust him. I know his love. I trust his love. I can survive any situation. I can look at every trial, James says, with positivity, knowing that God will work every last thing that happens, good, bad, or otherwise, in my life for my benefit in the blessing of my resurrection in Christ. And so I can live from Him. And in this, I'm realizing my actual humanity. Because to live from God to everyone and everything else is the very intended design of the human creation. And so I, my own humanity is realized in my participation in the resurrection of Christ. So I live from him. This enables me to love dangerously. That's what Jesus did. He loved us to the point of his own death. And I can love dangerously. I can take risks. I can pay I can pay for the benefit of someone else. I can suffer on purpose to 
provide for another person, I can exhibit the very same love that Christ has exhibited to me. I get it from Him, and I can give it to anyone else. And I will care for and manage the creation more effectively and more with more care in my right relation to God in Christ. So I live from Him. I see Him. I trust Him. I live from Him. And in doing these things, I will realize in myself the same full humanity that Jesus possesses. All of this made possible by His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and His uh, being seated at the right hand of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who will come again and bring the full experience of this resurrection when He does. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. And it's in His resurrection that we actually realize what it means to be a human being, to be that pinnacle of God's creation that is made according to His likeness, according to His image, where we, walking in right relationship to God, also walk in right relationship to each other, loving one another as He loved us, loving your neighbor as you love yourself, and also in right relation to everything else He has made. What a glorious promise we have. And, of course, this is a promise for the future, but it's also a fact in history. Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. That's utterly essential to all Christian faith. Paul says if Jesus didn't rise, we're just a bunch of fools. Jesus actually rose from the dead and is alive today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, we give you thanks for your amazing grace delivered to us in Christ. Thank you that we have standing now in your grace because of his sacrifice to come boldly even now and pray to the living God and to know that he hears us, that you hear us, and that we now walk in active, live fellowship with you. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out, that pours out the love of Christ even in our hearts. Lord, help us to live and to bear your image, to live from this resurrection life, to share the love of God, to know it and to share it, to see Christ and to live as Christ in this world. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray in his name and by his spirit. Amen.